0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, whose esteemed CEO, Jeremy Moskowitz, was just featured on the Run As Radio Advent calendar, which was pretty cool. You could check out a really great conversation with Jeremy and Richard on Run As Radio. And also by Liquidware, who were just featured on a great EUC blog post by Martin Koss, who posted a great succinct article explaining how he uses Stratosphere Fit for making environment assessments and helping to create design guides for new VDI projects. And now for some news. Windows Virtual Desktop now supports direct assignment alongside the already available automatic assignment feature. This means you can assign a static desktop to a user if you so wish. This should not be a foreign concept to those who already know VDI. It's similar to, say, your dedicated pool versus floating pool. This is a welcome addition and is something that was important to release early in WVD's existence, so it's good that it's out now. And on the topic, Mika Vets on Twitter also reminds us all to update our WVD PowerShell commandlets to the latest version. You can do that with update-module microsoft.rdinfra.rdpowershell. As pointed out by Remco on Twitter this week, Starting on January 15th, 2020, a full screen notification will appear that describes the risk of continuing to use Windows 7 Service Pack 1 after it reaches end of support on January 14th, 2020. The notification will not appear for those on Windows 7 Enterprise, but will appear for those using Pro, at least those who have not opted for the extended support. Now, home users will receive the notification, which is fair enough. It's more an area of concern for those working in enterprise who might be deploying Windows 7 Enterprise or Pro. So if you're a Pro customer, this might irk you a little bit. Hopefully you've got the Windows 7 extended support or you're on Windows 10 before the deadline. Microsoft Teams has become the first Office app available for Linux with the public preview that launched this week. If you listen to the podcast each week, this may not be a surprise to you, as it was mentioned in a previous ZDNet article I covered a few months ago. It's interesting to wonder what could be next. Possibly other components of Office 365? I mean, that's the logical leap. In a week when I saw a tweet from someone claiming they moved to OS X in the early 2000s, then switched to Ubuntu, and has now moved to Windows thanks to the release of WSL2, It would be very interesting to me to see Microsoft further extend themselves in this new embrace everything strategy to more of the Linux base. I can't see why not, because so far this strategy has been working very well for them. In what has been a rough few weeks for Avast and AVG, it has now been reported by ZDNet that they have had their Firefox extensions removed by Mozilla from the store for what have been described as credible reports that the extensions were harvesting user data and browsing histories. It took Vladimir Palant, the creator of AdBlock Plus, to raise the flag about these extensions. He posted a blog several weeks ago, and when that didn't get much traction, he decided to contact Mozilla directly. Within 24 hours, Mozilla removed the extensions. Now, this is just four extensions. It's not like every Avast or AVG product by any means. Two of the extensions are just to show warnings when navigating to known malicious or suspicious sites. And two are extensions for online shoppers showing price comparisons, deals, and available coupons. So, you... Even if you're security conscious, you might not use these extensions because they might not be particularly interesting to you. But the fact that this has been exposed is pretty interesting to me. The main concern was that the extensions were capturing quite a lot of information, including detailed user browsing history, a practice which is prohibited by both Mozilla and Google. Avast have now stated that they, quote, have already implemented some of Mozilla's new requirements and will release further updated versions that are fully compliant and transparent per the new requirements, End quote. At the time of this recording, the extensions are still available in Chrome, and as just read out, there's plans to re-release remediated versions in Firefox soon. Something that may have limited appeal but definitely appeals to me is that ZDNet has reported that ServiceNow has decided to release a VS Code extension for those who would like to create automated workflows for their ServiceNow platform. Previously, they were offering their own web-based dev tool, which I believe is still available, but obviously moving to VS Code will ease the transition for some and make it more visible and accessible to all. The download, as you may expect, is free, and surprisingly, it already has close to 5,000 installs, which is pretty impressive for something that's just been publicized. HelpNetSecurity.com reported on a revelation that 44 million Microsoft Azure AD and Microsoft Services accounts were vulnerable to account hijacking due to the use of compromised passwords. This was actually revealed by Microsoft's own security research team. As part of account security, Microsoft checks the status of accounts on an ongoing basis against a dynamic database comprised of known compromised credentials. That was tricky to say. In a statement, they confirmed, quote, for the leaked credentials for which we found a match, we force a password reset. No additional action is required on the consumer side. On the enterprise side, Microsoft will elevate the user risk and alert the administrator so that a cre- credential reset can be forced, end quote. It will be interesting to see if maybe they change their stance in future and actually force the password reset for the enterprise side too. I know that Citrix caught a lot of heat for the password reset that they performed for some of the share file customers after they detected some credential stuffing. But several security experts actually commended them for taking that swift action. And I know obviously working in enterprise IT that sure they might notify of compromised credentials but it doesn't mean that someone's going to receive that and deal with it in a timely manner. So it might be better just to go through the pain of forcing a reset. Microsoft went on to strongly suggest the use of multi-factor authentication which surprisingly still is not used by the majority. Microsoft have actually done a pretty good job with their own MFA. It's pretty user-friendly now. If you're not using it yourself for maybe your own Azure tenant or Office 365 or anything you might be using, you should really check it out. In one of the most terrifying security-related stories in recent times, the New York Times has reported that a service called Dexcom Follow which is available for those who use Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, had a really worrying outage last weekend. The product is popular for parents with kids who have diabetes as a way to alert them when their child's blood sugar is too high or too low. And unfortunately, the parents woke up to quite a shock on Saturday morning. The service went down in the middle of the night and was down for hours, In fact, services weren't fully restored until Monday morning. There was a really distressing account of a 10-year-old boy in Connecticut whose blood sugar dropped dangerously low during this outage period. His parents didn't realize as they didn't get an alert. Luckily, their 6-year-old son heard the boy's moaning and alerted his parents who were able to take corrective action by stirring him awake and feeding him apple juice and gummy candies meant to help restore glucose levels in diabetics. Jake Leach, Dexcom's chief technology officer, said late on Sunday night that the outage occurred because the company's servers unexpectedly became overloaded. He said that a, quote, large portion, end quote, of Dexcom's users were affected, but he did not know precisely how many or when the service would be restored. And the report suggests that the service was restored by Monday. His statement was made on Sunday night. Before I read through the article, I was expecting someone to complain about the software and was expecting my reaction to be, well, there's always going to be outages and disruptions, which means it's important for people using the product to have this expectation. But the complaints within the article were actually very measured and understandable. The parents just wished that Dexcom sent an alert to them to tell them that the service was down so that they could intervene sooner before it became an emergency. Kevin Sayer, Dexcom's chief executive, said he regretted that his company let its users down and did not alert them to the outage sooner. Quote, I feel bad for them and I understand their disappointment. We're going to be working on this. We're not going to sit still. This is a very big deal. I feel for these parents. I've gotten emails from many of them. We will be better. End quote. Luckily, my own kids don't have diabetes and this is not something that i'm overly familiar with the wording of the chief executive statement makes me feel like it was pretty sincere and i'd bet for the sake of just sending a notification that the service is down that this mistake probably won't happen again at least i hope not in somewhat of a rarity zdnet has reported The disclosure of a major VPN vulnerability exposed by academic researchers. What's rare is the security flaw impacts Linux, Android, macOS, and other Unix-based operating systems, but not Windows. How often do I get to report on stuff like this? This vulnerability is tracked as CVE-2019-14899. According to the research team, attackers can use this vulnerability to probe devices and discover various details about the user's VPN connection status. Attacks can then be carried out from a malicious access point or router or by an attacker present on the same network. The team have said they tested and successfully exploited a vulnerability on the following operating systems. Ubuntu version 19.10, Fedora, Debian 10.2, Arch the 2019.05, Manjaro 18.1.1, Devon, MX Linux 19, Void Linux, Slackware, Deepin, FreeBSD, OpenBSD, and other Unix based operating systems like Android and macOS are also impacted. The report goes on to state. An attack carried out via this vulnerability is not trivial to execute, so this would exclude scenarios of mass exploitation until patches will be available. However, the vulnerability is ideal for targeted attacks. If the attacker has the expertise to carry it out, they certainly could. The currently detailed mitigations should be applied, at least for protecting high-value systems and networks. And I'll share a link to this story with this episode, which is episode 102, on 5bytespodcast.com. If you're worried about it, you'll find it under reference links. According to an Ars Technica report, there is a recently discovered Mac Trojan that uses in-memory execution to remain stealthy, with the expected perpetrator being North Korean hackers. The first stage poses as a cryptocurrency app with the file name unioncryptotrader.dmg. When it was first exposed this week, only two out of 57 antivirus products detected it as suspicious. On Friday, detection had only modestly improved to about 17 of the 57 products flagging it. The unfortunate result is a malicious binary named Union Crypto Updated that runs as root and has persistence, meaning it survives reboots to ensure it runs constantly. When analyzed, they saw the control server, which was... A union crypto uh, VIP was still online, but it was responding with a zero code, which signaled to infected computers that no additional payload was available. And by Friday, the domain was no longer responding to pings. It's unlikely anyone outside of a cryptocurrency exchange would be targeted by this malware. Those who want to check can look for the existence of slash library slash launch daemons slash VIP. Dot union crypto dot plist and running processes are binary slash library slash union crypto union crypto updater. There was a pretty funny story that played out last week. Swift on security, who's well known on Twitter for sharing a lot of infosec related content plus some dank memes plus furries from time to time, accidentally shared a zero day security vulnerability in the popular atlassian product the issue was that with the confluence cloud service to enable the atlassian companion app to edit the files in a preferred local application and save the files back to confluence confluence connects to its companion app through the browser using the domain https colon slash atlassian domain dash for dash localhost -connections-only.com, which is a pretty stupid domain. The problem with this arrangement is that anyone could just copy the SSL key and use it to conduct a man-in-the-middle attack that could allow an attacker to redirect app traffic to a malicious site. The bug is now being tracked as CVE-2019-15006. Luckily, the certificate has now been revoked, and Swift on Security likely gained a lot more followers from this. At the time, he says he was just sharing what he thought was a dumb domain name, which I agree. And he became surprised when someone mentioned to him that he just disclosed a zero day. Sometimes Twitter is fun. And it feels like it just reported on Microsoft moving Notepad to the Windows Store. But ZDNet has now reported that the app will not be featured in the store with no explanation given by Microsoft. Microsoft just thanked those who tested and said it will not be deployed to users. I wonder what happened. Citrix have once again this week launched their two-for-one Citrix Synergy pass sale. If you're interested in going, this is probably the best deal you'll find. So if you've got a coworker who you'd like to bring along or even just a like-minded Citrix friend, this could be the deal for you iGel just released an update of their OS, which provides enhanced Improvata support, Cisco Jabber Soft for VDI support, Horizon Client version 5.2.0-14604769 support, as well as Citrix Workspace App 1910 support, and much more. The awesome Remote Display Analyzer Has had a new version released 1911. The product now supports the latest Windows 10 builds for both RDS and WVD deployments. It it supports the latest WVD infrastructure agent, supports the latest Citrix VDA 1909 version and latest HDX updates. The tool will also now show you in real time if hardware encode is being used. This is handy when you run workloads and want to verify if the video codec is leveraging hardware encoding. It also supports the latest VMware Horizon version and latest Blast updates. There's also VMware Blast codec switching, and the new Blast codec has been integrated. It's also mentioned that there's overall improvements and bug fixes, plus more. Tim Mangan's passive install tool has received an update this week. If you're not familiar with the free tool, it is a PowerShell module useful for creating custom application installation scripts. It's used for installs deployed by many means, including system imaging, SCCM, application layering, and application virtualization. There is specific support for AppV sequencing in combination with this other popular tool, AppV Manage. This latest version brings updated documentation on GitHub and a small fix to the copy-passive folder commandlet. And now a hot job. Stuart Carroll from Coffee Cup Solutions tweeted that they are looking for Citrix consultants and support specialists at his company to help grow their rapidly expanding business. At the time of this recording, I'm not sure if remote work is possible, and he's currently based in Berkshire in the UK. If you're interested or know someone who may be interested, you could contact stew.carl at CoffeeCupSolutions.com. If you're not sure about the spelling in that email address, you can go to fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 102, and you'll find the link to his tweet there. And now the weekly webinar. This week, the awesome Kevin Kamansky shared a sit-down discussion he had with the godfather of ABV, Tim Mangan. They talked MSIX. They got into the upcoming support for services, talked a little bit about MSIX core and much more. If you're in the application delivery space or end user computing, or you just even have an interest in where things are going application-wise within Windows, you'll definitely want to check this out. And now scripts, tricks, and tips. Those in the security space should find this one interesting. Odd Varmou on Twitter shared a simple registry setting, HKLM system current control set control LSA run as PPL. When set to one, it protects dumping of local security authority server service with a simple registry value. This provides additional protection for the LSA process to prevent code injection that could compromise credentials. So it seems like there's a pretty big win by just simply setting a single registry value. Brett Miller on Twitter shared a curated list of PowerShell experts to follow. I noticed that Guy Leech is one that's on there, and there's a lot of other great PowerShell scripters who share a lot of interesting commandlets and scripts and modules that they've created, so you should check that out. And yep, I just mentioned them, so you guessed it, Guy Leach features here again. I noticed James Kindon shared Guy's event aggregator script this week, stating it's his favorite script, so it seemed obvious that I'd feature it. This script lets you get all events from all event logs in a given window and output to a grid view or CSV with this simple PowerShell. And finally, did you know that Devapisa has an FS FSLogix monitor tool that is available for download? If you're trying FSLogix as a Microsoft customer and feel there's something missing and it's not very transparent or obvious, you don't know what's going on, this tool could be for you. It shows you a general health indicator for your FSLogix profiles, it gives you the profile size and other information, plus it helps with parsing through the log information. It's great for people who are well-versed in FSLogix and particularly for those who are brand new to it. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.